you're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hey folks, welcome back to Making Data Simple. Al here, um, and this is the podcast where we do just that, but we talk about essentially everything under the sun. Today with me, I have Aaron Bomick, who is an IBMer, but he's the Vice President and Chief Design Officer for IBM Cloud Data and, and AI. Uh, I know Aaron for uh, a very long time now, uh, since his you know, tenure in IBM anyway, and I have to tell you that he has transformed design uh, within the company as I know it. So we're going to talk about that, but he has experience in design thinking, he has experience in transformation, he has experience in user research, user you know, experience design, business to business, I think business to the, the client, the customer. Um, welcome, Aaron. I'm doing a terrible job of introducing you, but welcome. How are you? Thank you. Doing good. Thank you, Al, for uh, giving me an opportunity to, to talk to you. Always fun interacting with you. So we talked to design previously in this podcast. By the way, have we never talked on this podcast? We haven't. This is the first one. Happy birthday, Al. <laughs> no, this is amazing to me because I talk to you all the time. I could have swore that we did talk, but I know I've talked to design in the past and we've talked to design for augmented reality. We talked to design. I think we talked to David Townsend and that was a, a few weeks back, uh, folks. Uh, you know, hopefully you, you were able to listen to that. What's the difference just for the folks that have listened to that between your role and David Townsend's role? So David is looking after specifically the data and AI offerings. Um, he's also looking into emerging technologies like AR and VR being one of them. Um, I go broader. So I go across the, the world of cloud data and AI um, competing against you know, the Googles and the, the Microsofts and the Amazons from you know, very diverse set of users from data stewards, data curators, all the way to system admins, to data scientists, to business users. So I go broader. That's that's all I can say. So fair enough, fair enough. We at IBM have went under what I would call a major reformation of design at IBM over the last, I don't know, what do you think, five, six years? I, I don't know. And I know you've been here. You were, you were part of that onset of that transformation. Let's call it transformation right here, right now. Uh, the, the question I have for you is, can you describe, I know there's a lot of companies out there that would probably like to integrate design to a better degree. Maybe they don't do it well, or they should do it better. And I got to tell you, it's been day and night uh, for the last five years within our products. And you've received a lot of red dot awards, which we should also talk about. But can you talk just a bit about the, the before and after uh, how it was initiated, how, how you kicked this uh, new look on design off, and uh, what is the di desired state, and will we ever reach it? IBM has a, uh, I'm going probably many, many years back. IBM has had a rich history in innovation. We all know that, you know, from all the, um, you know, products we have come through. Um, but it also has a great history of great designers, um, we can name many, many designers who were part of the IBM's heritage. We sort of, around the 1990s or so, we kind of lost our way um, a little bit. 
because there was more pressure to sort of you know go to market faster and design was sort of an an, an afterthought and it was more of of you know let's let's get the functionality together when Phil Gilbert came in, I give a lot of credit to the transformation that has happened to Phil. Um, Phil Gilbert is the GM for IBM Design, um, and he runs a program that you know crosses you know all the BUs, etc. Um, he has been, and with his help, I guess everyone else has has teamed together for for this transformative journey. So, just get in case in point, you know we have. Uh, from 2011, 2012 to now, in IBM, we have hired more than 1,500 designers. That's the largest number of designers in a big corporation. Now, yes, the ratios of design to the engineering and, and OM will need to improve over time, but that goes about the investment. Second thing, the design thinking framework. In order to create transformations, you have to have the planning and the framework to allow someone to go through the life cycle and see the benefits of it and then use it as a reference and extend it. So design thinking framework, just to coming up with the concepts, testing it out and then rolling it out. There's a great design program office under Phil that started it and we all are consuming it and extending it with this enterprise design thinking framework, which by the way is live and available for any customer to use. Then the third thing is about training and enablement. You know, you can have the greatest frameworks, but if people are not really on board with it or they don't know how to use it, it doesn't go anywhere. So that was the second phase, training and enablement through things like boot camps. I talked about new hire boot camps. We also had boot camps at different levels of um, the hierarchy. So we had boot camps for even the VP level and uh, you know director level to understand okay what is the basics of enterprise design thinking how can it help me in in the business that i'm in and how can i better leverage design and the other competencies to produce better products so it's been a long journey and the final thing is about you know uh, places is what we call as people places and culture the places part of it in order for designers are uh, unique in some ways, yeah, you know, you might disagree. Uh, it's it's a debatable topic, but they're unique in that you know their creative boundaries are are kind of you know out of the charts, and they foster they work well in a community of other creatives a lot. So with that came the concept of design studios. Design studios was meant to be this cross-functional competency sort of work areas where people can work together, express their creative freedom and live and learn from each other and and the vibe and the energy pulls them through. So at this point of time, we have over 50 design studios worldwide, right? And they call us IBM Studios, again, because it, it covers many different, um, you know, uh, branches and, and departments, et cetera. So having the, the, the education, then the practice, and then the culture, in, emanating through these studios has helped with this transformation. And finally, you know, you do all this hard work, but I find that in business, there are two key, um, I guess, points of references to any business leader. It doesn't matter how good the design is. If the customer or the user appreciates it, it goes a long way. So, that's what, what we have done with some of the designs of the, the winning we've had done in the International Design Awards. We are getting that feedback and that feedback is going to our, our executives, to our product leaders, to our engineering counterparts. And they understand now that yes, customers are appreciating the work. 
that's that's one. And 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 two, the international design awards also go from an external standpoint. You know, IBM, we are bringing the sexy back to the enterprise, and we'll do that by design. So here's what I heard: you, you got to start with investment, of course. You you've got to believe in it, and you got to have an empowered leader like a CEO that says, "Look, we're going to do this. We're gonna we're gonna transform our business." So you invest. You got to have a design thinking framework, which, by the way, IBM openly shares. Uh, you've got to have training and enablement to make it happen, like the boot camps you mentioned. And then finally, you've got to create a culture, and that's not always easy. But one way of 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 developing a design culture is like work environments, like design studios, etc., which we have, for example, over fifty. Pretty pretty good uh, summary. Yeah, it's a great summary. You, you're doing We're, great. Oh. I'll give you a great <laughs> I listen. I listen well. That's I, I've been practicing, and I listen well. The design thinking framework. Where where can uh, listeners go get that? So it, it's easy. Just Google up ibm.com/slash/design/slash/thinking, and uh, there's a whole website to it. You can even try for free. We are partnering with um, universities, etc., to and they're using it in their curriculum as well. So many ways to get in touch. If you don't find what you see, there's a way to contact us as well. So all on the web. I'm just curious, how much of it is ideas and principles that we've created as of recently, or how much of it is, you know, best practices we've gathered over, you know, many years that have come out from different uh, universities or otherwise? I mean, how much is it new? How much is it just putting everything together that's already existed and putting it into action? Um, this is a controversial response from me, but I'll go and say that design thinking has been in in this world of, you know, problem solving for a while. Um, you know, IDEO has, has pushed it quite well and they've done a great job. So as a practice and a mindset to solve problems, it's existed. But what IBM did was we took that and we looked at the problem space we are in, which is the enterprise. Enterprise is unique in many different ways. The complexity is one of those things. So how can we apply design thinking in the enterprise, we call it the enterprise design thinking. So we took the basic one, we modified it based on learnings we've had over the last you know, five, seven years on what works, what doesn't work, and there you have it. So it should work well if you're in a, in a company, in a corporation, you're trying to bring out with products and, and offerings and services that crosses you know, many different you know, segments and geo, and you have a diversity of of people working together to make things happen, then enterprise design thinking is the way to go about approaching the problem. Why, why do you say it's controversial? Well, because uh, there is a school of thought that design thinking is a in a hot new thing. You know, it's um, as a as a practitioner in user experience and design, there used to be this concept of user centered design, and um, you know there are elements of design thinking that's comparable and complementary to or builds off of user-centered design thinking. So it's, it's, it's a continuation, in my opinion. And there's a school of thought that it was, it was sort of created around 10 years ago. So that's the difference. What is, what is your advice for like a startup? You know, startups only have so many resources. We're always talking about resources wherever company you go to. Certainly here at IBM, no different. But they're thinking, look, I got to build a product. I don't have time to hire a designer, et cetera. Would you say that's a huge mistake? And, and how do you, how, well, what would your advice be for a you know a a startup that's that's trying to watch their their spend their dollars, uh, 
and just get a product out? So for startups or anyone, uh, I would say that if you're trying to get a product out, you have to ensure that you're going to have something that your users are going to love. The only way to do that is through deep user research and applied design thinking and generating experience that users will you know, walk up and use. So if your goal is to sort of go into the market and make it virally available, you can't just do it without designers because if you don't have designers, you'll still have a product, no problem. The chances are you will spend a long, long time making it usable. In this day and age, um, usability is like table stakes. So, you know, I don't know how often you do it, Al, but time to time, I, you know, I need a software to do this and that. I Google it up. I finally read the reviews. I then look at the, the self-service option, look at the pricing planning, and I give it a shot. If it's working, there, there it is. I don't have the patience, nor do our users, who we tend to find, have the patience to live with the debt in usability that will show up if you don't have the right sort of mindset of design. I am not saying, by the way, that you have to have designers to do the designers. Yes, designers are, are professionals. That's what they do. But I think a lot of what we do in design is sort of best practices on how we build products. A lot of good offering managers or product managers that I work with can do a lot of design. We work with them very closely together. So it's less about, you know, do we hire? It's more about, are we making sure that we are building in experience as a differentiator of our products when we go to market? One way to do it easily and surely is through a design team or design professionals. There are other ways as well. But the net is, let's get designed to be a value proposition in the products. So I certainly tip my hat to you and what you've done because uh, I think it takes an extraordinary person. I do find it, I, I find designers are unique, but I also find, uh, you know, developers are, are unique in their own way. We're all unique in this business, I think. And I do have a question, a follow-up question on that. But before I get to that question, where I was going with this is I tip my hat to you. I tip my hat to, to Phil in terms of what you've done. Who do you tip your hat to in terms of uh, in the industry right now that you say uh, they're doing they're they're embodying design pretty well? I'm impressed. You know, I I actually find joy in many little things and and big things. So, uh, you know, it's not like I have a single app in mind. Um, but just to give you a few examples, um, I think Slack has done a phenomenal job in in creating a, a great experience for a collaboration scenario use case and you see it with you know how well it's doing in the market i think intuit is doing a great job in uh, expressing uh, experience in its products especially in products like turbotax and small accounting firms that you know they don't have the budget to train themselves so it's it's a self service um, you know get in and use i think um, Salesforce on a B2B side is also doing well. Um, they have a good design team together um, that they're, they're looking into the Einstein platform and you know, service cloud and sales cloud. So I feel I, I don't really have a single team or a single org in mind that I can provide a reference. But I can tell you that since I am in the Bay Area, uh, which, by the way, is the coolest area, Al. Um, no. Oh, Midwest, Midwest, keep yes. going. <laughs> so we have these communities, this immense, rich communities of design that I have the privilege of, you know, talking to and seeing and, and hearing people talk about their perspective of usability. So, 
you know, these companies I talked about, even Citrix, you know, it used to be um, a, a, a legacy customer-based company, and it has evolved over time as well. Cisco, um, we know all about Cisco, but they also have user-centered design practices built in. So each one of any company that you think are in the Fortune, you know, 500, worth any salt, is guaranteed to have design embedded in their team or org. Got it. Thank you. I want to go back to design thinking principles real quick. And for those of you that are listening that, that may not know, design thinking is really a set of processes uh, for being thoughtful and innovative with design. And uh, I use it a lot. I think it's magni- magnificent. Uh, I really do. And a lot of times when I'm solving a problem, whether I'm in you know a meeting or otherwise, sometimes I'll break out what I would call a mini design thinking prioritization on the, on the whiteboard. And I think sometimes people, you know, if I've gotten any compliments, sometimes I'll get a compliment like, wow, way to bring that back and level set, get us all uh, clear on the priorities uh, and marching in the same direction. But it's really all going back to some of the design thinking sessions. Now, having said all that, what I find that I see is, you know, I've been into full design thinking sessions, which sometimes, you know, I've taken a, a full week where we're locked up in a room, we're doing the full process. But I also see many for obvious reasons, cheating the system by then trying to do this in like two days. And I've even seen people and hell, I probably could be accused of it, you know, based on time or lack thereof to try to do something in a half a day, which I think short changes the system. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. I mean, uh, what do, do you see it kind of being, uh, I don't know, being shortchanged? I don't know what the word I'm looking for. But how do we stop that from happening? Any thoughts that you have? And can you talk more about the whole overall design thinking process so people know how, you know, how, how many hours it's going to take to get done what so they need to get done? The how many hours it will take completely depends on what are we trying to do or what problem we're trying to solve. In the design thinking framework has a whole bunch of tools. You know, I'll just give you a few examples. We call it the empathy map or the journey map. We do hopes and fears. Um, many different tools that get at specific aspects of what we are trying to solve for. So if you wanted to, let's say, I'm just making it up. Let's say um, you want to go to market with a, with a new product, okay? And you wanted to quickly get the team together to agree on what we're trying to do, who we're trying to solve for, and, and then scope it for a roadmap and delivering you know, plans later on. In that case, you know, we would do a few things, including, you know, the alignment, what I call the alignment workshops and the Hills workshop, which is really about the mission statement that we can all agree that our products are going to be aligned to and the user we're targeting, and then break that that hill into user stories that we can then scope it to a particular level and then drive sprint plans. That part, especially for a net new product, a green space product, requires some time and effort. So you know, I would say that is a three, four day workshop. We've also have cases when we've done remote workshops. It's harder, but can be done. So I feel like there is this, this notion that design thinking takes a long time. The workshops take a long time. I feel we could target different problems, solve it easier, faster. The, the, the more green space it is, the more we have to think and hence the longer the workshop is what I would say. Um, 
But you know what, Al? It's, it's interesting. That, um, I've had a lot of converts. So we've run many workshops where it's kind of a drag, you know, so no one wants to come in. And then we have to go and really talk to individual people and we say, can you just come in, maybe give us two or three days of your time. I know you've got a lot of work to do, but let's give it a shot. So we start off with day one, a lot of skepticism, what it is. We go through, you know, ex- explanation of what we'll do. By day three, it's it's completely a convert. And, you know, it, it, to a point where at the end of the third day, when we're giving a playback of the things we learned, it's usually the people who are the most skeptical will be the one presenting back because they are, you know, their eyes just open up. And now we have this opposite problem where, we are requested for facilitating workshops you know, every day, every other day, because people have started to get the hang of it. So I think we have turned a corner. We still have to you know, work through the timing part of it because you know, you know, when we especially pull off developers from their you know, code generation, it's a little bit of a drag, but we are improving and um, hopefully we're on the right track on that. I think what you've said to me is you got to go back to the design thinking framework and make sure you're hitting the points to solve the business problem at hand. I do think, you know, at least from my standpoint in my experience is that sometimes I do have to police that because there's a tendency, even those that, that are advocates for the design thinking process, you know, you're always trying to get things done faster and they say, oh, we don't need the empathy map because of this or that. And maybe sometimes you don't. But I tend to make sure that, uh, like, it depends on the situation, of course, but I'll say, no, we're going to do it anyway. And interestingly enough, I find that there's a ton of value going back, if nothing else, for the alignment of the team. Because inevitably, inevitably, you find some gaps between the understanding or the thoughts uh, that somebody may be thinking intuitively and think that everybody else has got the same same idea on that. But when you start putting it down, you start putting it in the framework that, that our design thinking framework um, drives, it comes out, it makes it come out, agreements to disagree come out, and you're able to get to end of job. So I actually, uh, all I'm saying is, I think what you said is we've got to make sure that people stay all aligned with that, that framework so they don't shortchange the system. So look, where can people find out more about what you're doing and working on? Uh, easy to Google me. I'm just, but mostly I'm I'm pretty active on on Medium. Um, I share my point of views from time to time. That would be one place, and the others are Twitter and LinkedIn. Twitter and LinkedIn. Hey, do you have a few more minutes to ask to do a, a quick lightning round? This is uh, to get to know uh, Aaron a bit better. Sure. <laughs> I set you up there. So, so here's my first question. Now, when I look at your experience, and like this is supposed to be a lightning round, but it tends to be a little longer than the the bulleted feedback that that I'm looking for, and that's okay. But look, I know you went, um, well, your field of study isn't exactly design, is it? I mean, that's not where you started. How did you get in design, and how did that become a passion of yours? So the field that I graduated from is called human-computer interaction, and that's a uh, a design and experience related field. In that measure, you could go deeper into things like interaction design, you could go deeper into creative design and visual design, or or what we call as human factors or and, and usability and user research. So fortunately, I was actually trained in that. I did my master's from from um, yeah, on, on that topic on, on and graduated from a program that was specifically tied to HCI. But 
what drew me in was, I mean, I did my bachelor's in, in, in industrial engineering, which is different <laughs> in a lot of different ways. Uh, what drew me in was at some point I started feeling that, okay, maybe I want to do something that A, is creative. And, you know, I was going about you know, creative being, you know, maybe I'll be an architect of some sort or, or um, you know, a carpenter or, or I don't know what. But in thinking about creative, I... Uh, what drew me in was the ability to affect the lives of millions and billions of people through software. And that's where I started coming in. Okay, so how do I better design software? Oh, well, I have to understand the psychology of things work. I have to understand how users interact with the system. I have to understand how they go about doing their job. So that drew me in into this life of what we call as human-computer interaction. So that's where I started. So... No, so fair enough, fair enough. So I, when I was looking at it, uh, so great answer, and I stand a little bit corrected, I, though I know you're a master in design, uh, make no mistake, uh, but uh, I saw the industrial engineering and management and then the conversion into HCI. So somewhere along the lines, you must have hit a pivot point where you said, hey, look, I've got a, I'm going to use the art side of my brain along with the technical side of my brain and change the world. Yeah, you know, I read a book called The Design of Everyday Things in, uh, by, by someone called Don Norman, who's sort of the, the guru in this field. And it is such an easy-to-read book. It made a lot of common sense. And I'm going, hmm, it's interesting. I, I would like to take this up and extend this point of view into a practice or a career that I can work with. So it was one of my, I guess, major um, reasons why I went into the field as well. What are you curious curious about right now? I'm curious about many things, one of which is where are we going with this world of AI, um, specifically around, and I talk about ethics, but can we automate AI and make AI better for AI? So, and not to put a plug in, in any of our products, we, we have auto AI as a product within your space, uh, L. But I'm really interested in the application of AI to teach AI and apply AI. We, we are, it's not just about creating models. And I, I feel there's a lot of growth in both in my standpoint of what I know about AI but also the application of it. So it, it keeps, me, keeps me interested in this field. Um, I also am thinking about the world of uh, AI in, in platforms like blockchain, um, how we are using design to figure out the use cases where we can make different platforms be smarter. So top of mind right now, I'm very curious, reading some, some books if I get the time, but um, it's been a fun ride. Most of the stuff I didn't know about, but now it's, it's beginning to make sense. Does AI, I mean, scare you just a little bit? Maybe a little bit? You know, it doesn't scare me, but I can tell you my eight-year-old is scared. Um, the other day he was um, telling me, he was asking me, what do I do? And he keeps asking me that question every time. And it's kind of hard for me to explain what design is, but I try. And then... He says, okay, what do you do in IBM? I said, well, you know, I do design for AI products in IBM. And he goes, AI? Oh, you mean you, the, that thing that creates evil people and, you know, takes people's jobs away? <laughs> and he went on and on and on. And I had a hard time explaining to him. But, you know, to back to your point, I'm, am I personally scared? I'm not because in, in my head I feel like people still have 
a little bit of morality in their head so they will know what's right and wrong yes there will be there will be a misuse of technology like any other technology but there's going to be more good than bad my my daughter is the same way my youngest uh, she always associates Watson, which she knows I work on, with uh, a robot. <laughs> and she's like, get, she goes, get that Watson thing away from me. That's creepy. Dude. Yeah. That's what she always yeah. I, I Now it's kind of become a joke as she's getting older. But I think there is an element of truth in there uh, that, that, that worries her. So what do you do in your free time? Then? So do I have any free time is the question I need to ask myself. But <laughs> when I do, I got an eight-year-old and a 12-year-old, and that's, that's my life and my wife. So that's that's what I do. Weekends, swimming classes, basketball, games, movies, things like that. So it's my outlet. Um, other than that, I'm mainly thinking about how to get design to be in a better spot, not just in IBM, but you know, in general as teams as such. So no, not much of free time, Al. Uh, I, I wish I had the luxury as you do. Yeah. What, what do you? Uh, what's the last thing on TV that you watched? I'm gonna see. I'm I'm gonna dissect this a little. Bit. Last thing on TV that I watched. Yeah. I watched some, a movie, but I think it's called The Great Heist. Um, I get a kick out of you know action movies. It's fast and sometimes predictable, but things are happening. I, I think I have a attention span issue, so these action movies help quite a lot. And so you can tell about my attention span because I named, I forgot the name of the movie. <laughs> I have fair enough. All right. Now I'm going to give you a this or that. Coffee or tea? Tea. Augmented intelligence or artificial intelligence? Augmented. Augmented. All right. Design or software development? Software development. Software development. Let me be clear. <laughs> we can design all we want, but if you didn't have software development, there's, there's not a single product that will go out of the door. All right. Here's the tough one. People or clients? I guess people are clients, but uh, the people within, the, the, the developers, the designers, people or clients? 100% people. When you got to get elaborate. If we, yeah. If, if we have a good set of people and a great culture, we will invariably build products, services, and be responsible and responsive to customers. And hence, we will make our customers happy. So getting better people and our affinity towards people gets us the end result. Good answer. So outside of your family, what are you most proud of? Uh, what am I most proud of? Um, good question, man. Uh, <laughs> I would I, I want to say that... Um, you know, I have a uh, fear of heights, and uh, the first time I tried ziplining was a, a great feat in my mind. I'm proud of that. Uh, sounds pretty lame, but I actually felt it. I was proud of myself. What is your, if you had a role model, what's your number one role model today? I mean, who, who's out there, not, not related to you? Not related to me. Um... I have several, actually, because I'm tied to the world of design, I'll just pick two, um, one of which is in Google right now. But um, she has been, I'll, I'll give her the name, Catherine Courage. She's a great um, sort of design leader. I look up to her. Um, she also serves as a mentor for me from time to time. Um, always, always something to learn from her uh, about business, about life, about how we approach things. The other one... Um, is Dan Rosenberg, who 
is an XVP for Oracle and SAP and, and done you know several good stuff on the enterprise space. He's also I'm very close to what he has to say. Also a great mentor, and I look up to him because he has taught me how to survive in the enterprise. Survive is the right word because you have to learn every day. And so, you know, I get a lot out of conversations with him and I look up to him. So if I have challenges in how I want to go about certain problems, I know there are people in the industry who have done this, who knows the space of design and business and technology to help me out. So I'm lucky that way. So if I'm a, thank you for that. If I'm a listener right now, you've inspired me and I want to learn I want to learn design uh, more than I, I obviously know it today. Where should I start? Where should I go? I would recommend reading the book Design of Everyday Things by Don Norman. Let's start with that. It's an easy read. Um, it's not specifically about interaction design or you know visual design per se, but it talks about the basic principles of the heuristics of good design. Start with that. Uh, I would also say IBM design has done great. So if you want to know a lot more about the process of design, the careers of design, uh, the different things you can do to um, learn more about design, ibm.com slash design. Those will be the two places. Uh, I can guarantee there is enough out there in academia as well as in other sort of corporate sites that gives a lot, but I'll start with those two. All right. Very good. And just as a, a quick recap, you know, start with an expression of intent. So as Aaron says, uh, you got to have principles and ideation loop and, and keys of what we're going to try to resolve, who for and, and what the wow factor is. And then if, if you're to get a culture around design, first of all, you got to start with Mindshare, which includes investment, a design thinking framework, training and enablement, and then a creative um, environment that, that promotes that culture like design studios, which I won't ask you this because we're at the end of time, but I was going to talk to you about design studios and, and how they do foster that work environment, but we'll save that for next time. Thank you, Aaron, for being on today. You're always a, you know, look, you're, you're a great talent. I appreciate all that you do sincerely. And um, look, I know that the listeners will as well. Thank you for being here. Thanks for the opportunity, Al. This is great. And for those of you listening on uh, Making Data Simple, again, thanks again. Feedback is always welcome. Please rate us on whatever forum you're listening. And uh, look, we'll alter and uh, pivot to uh, your interest. Thank you, and thanks for listening. See you. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcasts to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, over and out. Out.